0: Meet the Translator podcast. My name is Dot and today I'm joined by Kate Stansfield and Rachel Waddington for an episode all about environmental translation. We're going to be discussing what environmental translation is, the motivations behind doing it and challenges that come with it and tips and resources for anyone who wants to specialise in the field. We'll also talk about ways to make your translation business more environmentally conscious and the value of sharing what you're doing online. Enjoy! Hi Kate and Rachel, it's really great to have you both on the podcast today. Thank you for coming here. I'd love if you could give a little bit of an introduction about what it is you do and like how you got to where you are today. So should we start with um with Rachel?
1: Yeah, hi and it's uh, thank you for inviting me onto this dot. It's, it's really great to be here. I've been translating for sort of 20, 25 years now. I'm not sure quite how long. I started out with a degree in German and economics. I did a, a couple of stints in a a little translation agency and then I worked for a while in an engineering company. My focus is on renewable energy and sort Mm -hmm. of from a technical point of view I actually went back to the Open University and got an engineering degree about sort of finished that in 2016. So my focus in the environmental translation sphere is very much on the technical and on renewable energy and I know Kate's got quite a different focus I think that's going to be really interesting to hear about so yeah that's me. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you yeah I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting having your two sort of perspectives on it so Kate can you give a little introduction what you do and how you got there? Yeah
2: sure Um, yes thank you for inviting me um, on the podcast it's very exciting to be here Um, So I translate from French and Spanish into English and um, I also do quite a lot of revision, copy editing and and proofreading work as well. I have been freelance for 11 years this month, completely yet again missed my business anniversary. And before that, I was a a project manager for quite a small translation company up here in Yorkshire where I'm based Um, and now I was in Leeds for 18 years but um, now live in North Yorkshire in a tiny village. So yeah and my background education wise is I did a French and Spanish degree at Leeds, um, took a year out and worked in the charity sector because that's where I thought I wanted to head because it was also one of my major interests um, and kind of still is and then went back and did the Translation, Applied Translation MA at Leeds um, and graduated from there in 2007 so yeah I've got a, a bit of a mix a mixture of experience don't do technical <laughs> so unlike Rachel I've, I ended up doing an awful lot of medical and life sciences type translation over the years um, especially with agency work but increasingly over the past couple of years more marketing and um, I'd always done quite a lot of corporate communications in general but the marketing slightly more creative stuff has crept in and then really just over the past few years reassessed everything I was doing I was in a bit of a rut really um I think a lot of freelancers go through these these um sort of highs and lows but this was a particular low and I was questioning everything and that just led me back to what I'm really passionate about and my core values I think and that's how I realised that I really wanted to combine my two passions, languages, and the um, the environment, the planet. I was a bit of an eco-warrior as a kid, so Greenpeace member, Green Blue Peter badge, always designing posts, Save the Whales posters, um, and reading lots of books, all centred around animals and and things. So
0: yeah. Oh, I love that. So thank you so much for introducing yourselves. I think it's going to be a really interesting episode and so my plan is that we'll split it into two parts we'll have the first part where we talk about translating environmental content and then the second part where we talk about running an environmental business so let's get stuck in the first question is what is environmental translation so who wants to? a big (laughs) one good
1: luck with that
2: <laughs> Am I going to have a go? I just think it's really broad, and that's part of the reason I find it so interesting. uh The more I kind of delve into this sphere, if you like, I guess you've got the the more sciencey side, the research, maybe whether it's around climate, biodiversity, ecology, and then the tech side with you know renewables and all sorts of other solutions to do with plastic waste and lots and lots of areas, and then. I guess the side I'm sort of more involved in the the marketing sides, communications in general, whether that's educational awareness, sort of in, um, environmental awareness and education. And then I think it also took very much is connected with international development, which is my other main interest in translation: health, social justice, humanitarian work. All related, and increasingly so, obviously, with the climate crisis um, and certain sectors of the global population being particularly affected. I'm really interested in that side as well, and I probably even haven't I haven't even covered half of it. I think environmental translation can come in to
1: almost any field you might translate in. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would totally echo what Kate said there. It's environmental translation isn't sort of one unified field. The kind of work that I'll be doing, if I'm translating, for example, specifications for a wind turbine or operating instructions for, or installation instructions for solar panels or something like that, completely different style from the kind of thing that Kate would be translating, as sort of maybe doing marketing for a small green business. So there isn't there isn't one environmental translation field. There isn't one kind of background that you need to have just really really broad and it can depend where you're coming from what you end up doing
0: I guess it's kind of hard to it can be hard to define maybe sometimes what you do for example with what you said about doing the technical things and like I've done a bit of environmental translation myself but it's things like blog posts and things that are quite like language that I can understand. I'm not very good at like the science side of things and the technical side of things. But when you say, "Oh yes, I do environmental translation," you can end up getting sent all kinds of different projects, and you're like, "Actually, no, not not that kind of thing." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and
2: I think um, I think it's very important if you you kind of heading into this field to kind of sit down and have a have a think about where your interests. Lie, but also the skills you already have the experience you already have because you might not feel like you're qualified or you have relevant experience but then because it is so broad um I think defining that carefully will help you as you say not receive jobs that you're having to turn down because um you don't have that technical experience
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, there's plenty of other things that you can get stuck into yeah
0: so um what what kinds of environmental texts do you um each translate and what kind of topics and materials do you use i mean rachel you kind of said a bit about um instruction manuals or installation things yeah. like what...
1: yeah I, I do i do those i also um sort of technical marketing gives me a bit of an opportunity to flex those creative muscles and i quite i quite like that i've also translated books about uh, wind power and solar power kind of a bit back in my past now I haven't done anything like that for a while. But I quite like those texts where it's not just you know the dead, dry, really technical stuff. But mm. uh and I, I also do general technical work. I'm not a hundred percent renewable. I'd quite like to be, but I, I do a lot about railways, for example, which I suppose you could also kind of classify that as sustainable, sustainable transport. It kind of fits broadly into that field. Mm. So yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm.
2: Similarly to Rachel, not all the work I do is environmental, but my focus, I guess, is on working with three types of clients. So the first being um, ethical, sustainable brands, particularly small um, businesses, SMEs, and uh, then the kind of NGO, not-for-profit sector. I'm really, really interested in because that's always been a, a real interest of mine as well, uh, initially thought it was a career prospect and then missed languages too much. So came back to that. So combining the two is it's just I love, I love that work. And then the third being kind uh, of supporting, particularly with my editing work, like the the research, researchers, academics, writers, I would love to translate um books. I haven't done a book yet. So I'm I'm in awe of Rachel. I would love to do that. So it's yes, in terms of the types of text um, a lot of it is marketing and the CSR and different policies related to sustainability, and then on the kind of more NGO and environmental edu- education. Um, I've done some websites and social media posts, and then just the I've done an awful lot of international development on the health side, and then the climate stuff comes in increasingly. So those documents could be anything from information to go on their websites, on the client website, or um, funding proposals, campaign updates, um, things like that. So slightly drier, I suppose, but just full of things that I'm 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 really interested in. So lots of research that I find fascinating, just slightly less creative, I suppose, than some of the marketing. But again, because I mean a lot of the marketing it really it, it's so important for that to be fact-based that it's not necessarily always super creative.
0: Mm-hmm. it's interesting that you have such a, a broad variety um you said about um doing work for not-for-profit organizations and charities and stuff do you do you find it's hard to find that kind of work because I guess they might not have as much funding too. to pay translators as obviously other clients that are for profit yeah. or whatever So I have one main
2: international NGO client who I've worked with for 11 years. And luckily, they're they're a fairly big outfit. So most of that work is paid. And then a lot of the other work has been smaller kind of ad hoc pro bono work as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: The one particular project last year, I, I did the website that was paid, but then he wanted some further um, social media support, so I did that because I really wanted to gain experience in that and was very interested in it. And um, that was around plastic waste. And then I'm currently coordinating a pretty huge <laughs> pro bono project for scientists warning Europe as well. So that's on the climate side. But I'm—I I think I'm still working out. I've been chatting to quite a few charities. And they obviously budget is a big thing, but what they can do is they're keen to talk about pricing and, and they're keen to get quality professional translations done. And they need the information to then put into funding proposals for specific communications they, that they want to have translated, specific resources for their website, for example, and um, to prioritize that. But yeah, sometimes it can take a long time for that process to happen. So you have to be quite patient. I certainly couldn't put all my eggs in that basket but because I'm so passionate about it I don't want to disregard it as something that I can't make yeah you I know, can't make a living from I want to incorporate into my kind of overall vision for the work I'm doing.
0: Mm. I mean it's it's worth it if it's if it's what you're passionate about and you're yeah. doing something good for the world then it's worth it if you have the time for you to do it pro bono or do it at lower rates or wait longer or whatever wait longer yeah and and you know that
2: work out what that realistic mixture is and what the boundaries are there
0: so why what are your should we start with Rachel what are your motivations of like why why did you choose this area of translation
1: okay um I think it's a mixture for me. I've definitely got a kind of geeky technical side that loves to learn about all the, you know, the cool new technologies and that kind of thing. And I just find it just really fascinating and interesting. And the other side of it is, and I think this is common to a lot of people who work in this field, just wanting to align my career and my profession with what I believe in and, and not be working for companies that I, I find are ethically dubious mm-hmm. so that's also an important motivator and I, I feel like this f- field gives me kind of a good a good mix of those things and it, it's interesting well I think it's interesting work I know technical isn't everybody's cup of tea but I think it can be really interesting work and, and I, I just love learning about new stuff and there is always something to learn in this field.
0: Mm-hmm. What about you Kate what are your motivations? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um it's
2: quite hard to
0: to pin down but um
2: I mentioned earlier that um as a child I, I just loved anything to do with conservation um mm. animals nature um that's continued but I think it was uh, when I became a parent which was around the same time as when I went freelance as well I think my priorities had been elsewhere, focusing on education and my career, and I hadn't been so much thinking about everything that was going on in the world, on an environmental, um, from an environmental perspective. And then, yeah, bringing a child into the world suddenly made me get back to all that and and think about the impact that was going to have and um, trying to minimise it. I got very into different alternative green parenting. Things like cloth mapping and using completely natural um, products, realizing how much stuff we are sucked into buying when we well, in general, but particularly when we become parents, you know, looking at all this mainstream marketing and just thinking this is absolutely bonkers. So as the kids got older um, and I came out of that haze of trying to balance work with very, very small children. As I said, I, I started to reassess the work I was doing, which had been, I'd been very much kind of taking the jobs that came in, getting the money in and focusing on, on having small children. So when I had more headspace, uh, I just realized I really needed my work to align more with my values um, and to be working with clients, as Rachel says, who were who not ethically <laughs> dubious, um, who were putting people and planet first And then I started to look, I did some coaching for specifically for translation business owners and unraveled what it was that I wanted to be doing and felt that where my skills were um, the areas within sustainability where I felt like I was already confident to translate those texts, but perhaps needed more training or CPD and something else to add that in. Um, And I'm still very much on that journey. really. And as Rachel says, you're always learning new stuff as a translator. So, and it evolves, but um, it helped me get together like a, a, a vision of what I wanted to be doing day in, day out. And the contribution I wanted to make um, with my work. So Yeah, that was kind of come back to what was my original interest as a child. And then I'd gone off on the languages tangent because I realised I was all right at science. But it definitely didn't come as naturally
0: me as languages bit mm. It's um it's it's really inspiring actually to like take your take your passion and what you really care about and bring it into into the work you do and everything. And I think like even people who translate completely different content that's not related to the environment, I think later on in the episode we can talk about how like you can still bring it in to your business in general. Yeah, um And absolutely. I think that'll be that'll be really interesting because I would love also to know more about like finding those clients, not not like even if it's not environmental content, but finding the clients that are more ethical and environmentally conscious in what they do. Yeah. Okay, so we've heard sort of why you do what you do. What do you love the most about what you do? I think I've I've kind of already covered some of it in that it's um
2: just feels like a massive privilege to be able to do work that I really believe in that is combining all the things that I care about, but also the people that you get to work with. So not just the clients and knowing that they are on the same page as you and the same wavelength and value the same things, but other freelancers that I get to work with. I really love collaborating. So I'm doing more and more um, where I'm working with other freelancers on, on projects. And yeah, it's just an absolute joy to be able to work with people who you know get it and are working for that kind of shared common goal. Um, it is very very inspiring I wish I could do it all of the time <laughs> um, and that's the aim but yeah basically um, and, and all of the stuff you get to learn like I couldn't possibly feel like I'd learned enough about our planet and how it works and how we can best protect it so I, I would do that day in day out and if you can earn money while
1: you're doing that effectively it's just yeah,
0: amazing so what about you
1: Rachel? <laughs> well. I think also I have kind of answered it a little bit in in what I said before. I just think it's a really fascinating field. But the other thing about it is, there is no more important job in the world at the moment than environmental communications and putting that message across to the public of why this important, why this is important, what climate change means, uh, what um, other environmental problems are all about, and, and putting that message across just just no more important job on the planet at the moment it's so vital and that that's not quite the work that I'm doing but in the in those related fields like the work that Kate's doing just kudos to you because just so important absolutely vital
0: mm. I mean it's the future of our planet isn't it really it's,
1: yes absolutely it,
0: like every kind of you can always say that every, every single thing is comes under this issue because like nothing would exist if we like <laughs> if we don't fight for it nothing's going to exist at all so yeah
2: it, it touches absolutely every aspect of life and i still don't think there are enough people who get that so if you can get that word out even more uh, well all of the time I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone around me is a bit sick of me banging on about sustainability climate crisis but i won't stop because yeah it's um, everything and affects the entire world so uh, yeah just as everyone, um, there's been plenty of banging on about COVID so I think we need more banging on about
1: the climate and it's not always easy to do is it Kate isn't it's not always time. easy you, you don't really necessarily all the time want to be that person that's banging on about sustainability and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that but uh, it's that's... so important that people talk about it and it yeah. doesn't just become something that nobody nobody dares to mention which it yeah. kind of is a little bit uh, people are worrying about it privately in their own yeah inside absolutely. their own heads but not talking to each other about yeah. and you're
2: absolutely right it there's there's ways of doing it and um i'm involved with a, a social media campaign called tackle the crisis which is um aimed at combating talking about positive ways in which um, the climate crisis is being tackled, because it is. There is so much amazing stuff going on, but also to combat climate anxiety, which is a real issue affecting a lot of people. Um, and doom and gloom stories don't work. They overwhelm, and that needs to inaction. So the whole, I'm fascinated by the way we communicate this problem and the solutions.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah, that's a, an additional reason why I'm really interested in, in Yeah, find the work enjoyable because the the way we do that is really, really important. Mm
0: -hmm. I guess it's one of those things that, like, everyone has a different way of doing it. And I think, like, sometimes when there's, when it's spoken about and it's like, you should do exactly this in this way. And if you're not doing this, then that's wrong or whatever. But I think, like, everyone has their own ways of doing things. Some people might, you know, focus on getting, doing loads of recycling or, you know, not buying pl- things with plastic, and some people might focus more on what they eat and that side of things, or on you know, there's so many different ways, and I think like it's good to open up and talk about it more so that people can find the ways that work for them and do what they want. Yeah, can they can because plug yeah, cause I don't think there is like a perfect way of being 100% environmentally sustainable, and like there's no perfect thing because, like.
2: <laughs> Apart from anything else, the system is set up against us being able to do that. Um, and I think we need to empower individuals and also businesses, um, each other as business owners, to look, to look at the changes that we can make that do have a bigger impact than people realise and not feel so just overwhelmed and and de- defeated by it because the system is, it, you know, it, it is hard to feel like you're making a difference in it because... Yeah, a lot has to change but from them,
1: um, from all sectors. <laughs> coming, coming back to something that Kate said just a moment ago, there is a whole science or, around communicating with people in a way that makes them listen to your message and not just switch off because it's, it's actually quite frightening. And when things frighten us, we tend to shut down. Oh. So just loading doom and gloom on people we know doesn't really work, but also you don't want to sugarcoat the message too much so that people don't take it seriously. So, so that is, I mean, I'm currently studying a master's degree in, in energy sustainability, but there are people at my, at the the center for alternative technology in the conflict. There are people who are also studying behavior change, which is all about that. How do you, how do you get, get that message across and get people to change? And I think that's a really interesting field and that's a, a, Definitely a field of specialisation for translators. I see people doing that on, on LinkedIn, that their specialism, and that's, that's kind of what you're doing in some of your work, Kate, isn't it? It's like, how, yeah, it's do, how, do, you, how do you put those communications across in a way that makes people listen and, and pointing the finger at people and saying you shouldn't be doing that? Yeah. That's, that's not what we want to be achieving.
2: I would love to do that course by the way
1: I've seen it I would love um, to do that course as well you
2: can't, you can't all do of all of the courses that. all of the courses yeah um yeah behavior change is fascinating um there's a um, I'm trying to get her name right there's a lady on LinkedIn called Libby Drake who um, who does behavior change workshops and we've been talking about this lately with our locals It's going slightly off the subject of yeah, environmental we, translation specifically but as a local uh I'm involved with in the local environmental group um, and sort of network of smaller groups and we're finding increasingly that we're talking in this echo chamber of people who are already on board with all, all this they they have quite a good basic knowledge carbon literacy and they are trying to do everything they can and then it's reaching those other people especially younger people and families and parents they are super super busy they are probably really worried about this for their children but I think there is that element of they're so scared that they're just switched off to it, and, and they're dealing with you know everyday life. So yeah, we're starting to look at some training for ourselves in behaviour change so that we can more effectively communicate.
0: We've talked a bit about the importance of obviously environmental the environmental issue. So how can we kind of bring that into the translation work we do? Like, what do you have any good? resources for learning more about it so that we can then work on those translations because I find sometimes it's a bit overwhelming when there's sometimes so much information on different things and you don't quite know where to look or which thing to learn and I get a bit overwhelmed sometimes because I'm like there's too much and then I just end up not doing anything because I could (laughs) It's, yes. it's just yes. so please what what resources do you have or do you recommend for people that want to get into doing what you're doing
2: well first of all I completely identify with that and I have exactly the same problem um my reading list on my google chrome browser is absolutely ridiculous I've probably read about 10% on there. um I think as translators we tend to just be of the nature where we just want to learn all of the things as well so it's really hard to know where to start i think i said before though that sitting down and and working out thinking about the different areas within this sphere and what experience you already have that you can bring as, as a place to to know where to start and the different areas of i mean you might be more interested in biodiversity or renewables like rachel or plastic waste sustainable living ethical fashion there's so many areas and you might already have lots of experience in translating something that is really for example fashion that you just want to move over to working with clients who are not all about fast fashion and they're you know really careful about their working conditions their ethics their environmental impact so that would be a great place to start so you would we want to focus your cpd and your research more in that area in terms of resources, I'm sure Rachel has heaps as well. I, she will probably mention cats, so I'll let her talk about cat. But um, lots of, I've got a list, of, a pile of books I'm working my way through. I've really enjoyed Hope in Hell by Jonathan Porritt as kind of a good overview of where we are. And it's not too doom and gloom. And it looks realistically at what can be done if we act now. What is being done already. Um, it's a It's a really good overview. There are lots of podcasts I really like, How to Save the... Oh, gosh, is it How to Save the Planet or How to Save the World? I can't remember, but it's, it's fantastic. And it covers everything from, there's an amazing episode on recycling. And there's a very, very good one on electric vehicles, networking outside of the language industry and connecting with people in the fields. is it's because they will share, especially on LinkedIn, so many events and resources, articles. It's just like an endless stream, as you say, and it is overwhelming. That's why it's good to kind of try and pinpoint where your interest is. And there's heaps of free webinars going on and online conferences. Obviously, with COVID, that's been the upside of that—that that we have access to all these amazing events. Just go along, register, and share what comment. It's a good way of learning, but also networking.
0: Mm-hmm. I noticed that you shared a few of those through the because the, the ITI has a like a sub network for what is it called again the for like environmental translators isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. that's a
1: good I
0: always um, forget <laughs> what it stands
1: for though <laughs> yeah I can't remember what it stands for either
0: sustainability horticulture environment and agriculture maybe <laughs> oh no that, that that's I've about seen them right. um, but I've seen Kate that you've shared some um webinars or something on there or oh, people people are sharing resources There's and people, stuff. Yeah, so that's right. a she good shared some brilliant ones. Yeah, that's yeah. a good place to go. <laughs>
2: yes, definitely. Yeah. Um a great network. Yes. They're quite active on Twitter as well, but I'm not (laughs) so
0: i missed all that so um so rachel what what resources do you have for people wanting to get into environmental translation and renewables and things like that
1: okay well it's like kate said there's just so much out there at the moment which is absolutely brilliant you know webinars and resources things to read i think if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed by the sheer volume of stuff out there it can help to actually be signed up to some kind of a course because that kind of takes away a bit of the pressure of the reader. Oh, there's all these things that I want to read and you just do the things that are on the course. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to do a degree or anything like that. It can be just a Coursera free course, something like that. There's a lot of free stuff out there. And um, one specific one I I usually tell people about, the Open University, as well as their degree material, they also do some really good quality free learning resources and there's quite a lot in there in the environmental field. So that's definitely worth a look. Center for Alternative Technology, which is where I'm doing my uh part-time master's degree. They do master's degrees, they also do short courses. Um, they used to do on-site, you, they used to do this thing where you could do the on-site part of the master's modules. So for the masters you do a week long intense Learning on site where you all get to meet each other and then you go away and do a lot of things at home. But they used to offer that for for anybody to go to. So you could you could do the on site part of the learning, which just sounds really brilliant. Now it's not running at the moment because of COVID, but I, I think they will be bringing that back. So that's something to look out yeah. for. And they also have been doing all kinds of webinars. And one that I know Kate's been to as well, and I went to, is it's called the Zero Carbon Britain. Course, and I just thought that was so well taught. It's amazing. I I would recommend every human being on the planet to do that course. It's just something that, yeah, do it, and it's not expensive. It's intense,
2: Uh, um, but it's so well worth doing, and you will come away with so many resources as well. But as Rachel says, the way it is taught in particular, it's two full days, and you would think that that would feel, would drag out a bit, or would feel really hard going and the way it's done with so many breakout rooms but not in a sort of scary, intimidating way, just so inspiring and well thought out. The sessions are all varied and but relevant. Yeah. And 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 it's like got a nice progression, but it gives you such a fantastic overview of how we got in this state and then what is currently being doing and where where we need to go to and the part that you might personally play in that. It works on helping you identify that. Um,
1: yeah, I couldn't recommend that highly. Yeah, and if you can actually go and visit for for uh, just a day out, they they have a, a sort of visitor displays. There's just so much there that if you're interested in the environment or renewable energy, just a really great thing to walk around and. I, I don't energy. think I fully. I don't think I've fully explored the site yet, and I have a book recommendation for anybody specifically who's interested in renewable energy rather than the the other aspects of sustainability. Uh, Renewable Energy, Power for a Sustainable Future, edited by Godfrey Boyle. And it's just a really good introduction to all the renewable technologies, but not in the language that you need to be an engineer to understand. It's not full of equations. And I I think that's just, a and it's quite readable. So that would be my, my recommendation for anybody that wants a broad grounding in renewable energy it's Mm -hmm. It's really interesting
0: thank you for that I'm going to um um make a list of these and I'll put them in the show notes for anybody who wants to quickly go back and check (laughs) look for the resources let's let's go back to the actual translating the environmental content what what are the most challenging things that you've had to face in doing that
1: probably the most challenging thing. In working in this field in general, it's just that it can get a bit relentless in terms of bad news. If you're keeping up to date with everything that's happening in the environmental field, you can just feel like it's one bit of bad news after the other. And that's not good for anybody's mental health. And this is not just an issue for translators or people in the field. It's an issue for all human beings alive at the moment, I suppose. But if you're working in the field, you're a bit more focused on it. So I think just really important to look after your mental health and and not continuously be on Twitter reading about because my Twitter feed is it's translators and it's environmentalists. And the environmentalists can be quite a grim read sometimes. So you need to balance that with other things and make sure you you know you're not you wallowing in bad news. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I was gonna say exactly the same thing. Probably. All of that, and also in in terms of some of the clients I'm wanting to work with, we've touched on in terms of budget and, and funding. Yeah, and those are probably the two biggest challenges. Actual translation challenges, I suppose, I've purposefully focused on in terms of the types of text, the, the text that I'm comfortable working with anyway. So, for example, that, that you yeah, know I I don't tend to do technical stuff because well, I don't <laughs> because. it's it's recognizing those challenges that you those boundaries that you would have anyway in any field. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similarly legal and financial if even if it was for a client you know in the environmental field or I yeah I wouldn't take on those jobs but I would work with someone who is excellent at legal and financial.
0: Yeah I guess that's (laughs) that's 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 back on the thing of that it literally covers so many things and so (laughs) many of the like because in this kind of podcast series, I've been talking to different people about different specialisations, but actually like a lot of them just overlap with each other. And last month I did a podcast episode with Nicole about legal translation. But like you have just said, and like she said as well, like that covers loads of things and it could combine with this, it could combine with so many different things. And I guess that's the thing for all kind of translators is working with things that you're comfortable with. I think it's okay sometimes to have a bit of a challenge when you're learning something new and working something new but as long as you're aware that you can still create like provide quality service yeah that's a good (laughs) thing to mention so going back to what you said earlier Kate about how you sometimes do a bit of volunteer work with it Mm -hmm. how do you how do you sort of get into that where do you where do you find it for anyone who wants to start off by doing that because I think sometimes a good way to get into start up your specialism or get into translation is doing the volunteer stuff first and then finding more paid clients so how do you sort of find that and do that <laughs> i'm going to really kick myself now because i
2: meant to look up the name although i think they've merged now with yeah so sorry start again translators without borders pretty much everyone will have heard of so mm-hmm. i've started working with them but around the same time i heard about a an organization Cannot remember their exact name, something like Climate Sentinels. Anyway, they were they had a volunteer translation team and, and, and department, but I believe they are now working with, with translators without borders. So meaning that the material material you might get to work on for TWB could well be um on climate uh, issues. So that would be a great place to start. Um you know, translators borders have a great setup and um, are very good at recognising and providing evidence for the work you've contributed in numbers of words. You know, it's very specific. They use Memsource, which is a good, really nice kind of quite common platform to work with. There's nothing overly technical or complicated there. The You know, I don't get to do very much, but that's because I, probably, I don't, not many um, things come up in my Language combination so far. Or uh, I think there's an awful lot of translators registered with them in my language combination. Um, and then the the project I mentioned that I did last year, Ten Waste Project, Ten Waste Challenge, just came to me via prose.com uh, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I snapped it up because it was kind of one of those first moments where my eyes looked up when I saw the email and I almost didn't care what. <laughs> I'm not advocating just giving away your time for free at all but I do think you you know you assess it based on the time you have available what you what your aims are and at that point I really wanted to get more experience under my belt in this specific area and I'm very passionate about this it was kind of around plastic waste and, and litter and creating like a global community around that so it just ticked all the boxes and then yeah I I do work with another NGO, as I mentioned, but that's kind of mostly paid and some pro bono. But again, you kind of have to. It, I think it's a good idea to really define where your boundaries are with how much time you can give away for for free for a cause that you're passionate about. There might be one specific organisation that you pinpoint, or um, a number of projects per year, or there might be some other way. I, I plan to offer a discounted rate for not-for-profits but you know not everyone will choose to do that either it's just each business is very individual so i think you have to do what you feel comfortable with but in terms of gaining experience there's you know heaps of organizations you could contact i think to offer your your services but again have those boundaries really set in stone before you do that
0: mm-hmm. I, I like the yeah. idea of having.
1: oh sorry sorry I was, I was just butting in i was going to say that it, building credibility by volunteering doesn't have to be in the trans- translation field it could also yeah. be just writing about things that you're passionate about or getting involved in your local sustainability group you there will be bound to be a, a transition group or a sustainability group in your nearest town and and getting on the committee or going out and talking to people about environmental issues all kind of builds your Build your CV, build your credibility, and you will learn a massive amount from interacting with some really knowledgeable people. Mm
0: -hmm. And I guess that's also... It could also benefit your business in a way too because if you're networking with the people that produce or work with the kind of content that you want to be translating and they know you as a translator, then you can also kind of get work that way as well, I guess. I mean, I know for a lot of people... And me included. A lot of the work I get is referred to me from other people through networking. So I guess it's another great thing if you, as well as doing that and being active in your community or whatever, you're also getting contacts who could yes. could give you work that you want to do. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And also, also just a great thing to do as well. and really yeah. needed. I
2: think with this this kind of area, it is very difficult to. Um, have like a, a line between your professional life and and personal as an individual, how you want to contribute and it's just all encompassing really. So for me, when I started thinking about the impact I wanted my business to have, I was looking at what I was doing personally and really finding it hard to separate the, the changes I was making in my personal life from especially if you work from home, those lines become a bit blurred. And that's, I think that's okay. I think, yeah, if, if you're doing the kind of work that's you, you're motivated by those values or values, you can't kind of separate mm-hmm. and not really making sense. But um, no, I, get, I get what absolutely you mean. agree with Rachel that there is plenty you can do seemingly on a personal level where, as you say, don't, you will also inevitably have conversations with people and they'll say, oh, so what, you, what do you actually do? for a living and then you that will start a conversation about the services you provide and they people can see that you are genuinely passionate about that field so who are they going to choose to go to when they have that if they work in that field and they need a translator or proofreader someone who they have seen in real life cares
0: mm-hmm. about this mm-hmm. and is knowledgeable as well mm-hmm.
2: so yeah it's it's a win
0: yeah and I guess like especially as as freelancers um most of the time like we kind of are our business like everything when a when a client pays us for some work we do that money goes straight to us and goes into whatever we're doing so like anything we do in our personal life whatever we spend that money on is also relates to like that's we've got it through the business so it's kind of like it kind of all like goes through because I feel like when you look at like a big company if the company decides okay we're going to send off some people to go and do this event or we're going to do this or whatever they kind of put those personal things or they decide okay the whole company kitchen is going to be vegan or something like or like I went to a hairdressers the other day and it was a vegan hairdressers and all the products are vegan and the food they gave me was vegan and it was lovely but like it kind of when you think about yourself as a whole business by like You know, not buying plastic or whatever. I feel like that's, I don't know, it does all kind of mix together, as you said, Kate. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
2: it does. It does. And down to, you know, you're using a lot of electricity in your working life in your home, Mm. but it's relevant, therefore, where that electricity comes from. So that's one way that you could, as a business owner, but also as a person who lives in a house (laughs) and works in that house, make a difference. Mm-hmm. By looking at your energy supplier,
0: for instance. Yeah, your banking. Um, we can talk. Yeah, we'll talk about that more in a minute because I wanted to ask you as well about the banking thing because that's um, nothing. But okay, one last final thing about translating environmental content. What advice do you have for someone who's thinking that they could be at any stage, but they're thinking right now, I really want to translate environmental content. I want that to be my specialism. What advice do you have for them?
1: I'm. Gonna say, first of all, it's not enough to say I want to be an environmental translator, as we've talked about. You need to think about what 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 am I going to bring? What what are my strengths? Who is my ideal client that I'd like to work for? Or ideal clients? What kind of is it going to be chatty blogs and marketing? Is it going to be more technical stuff? And then become an expert in that field by going out and doing some of these sort of wonderful CPD opportunities that we've talked about. And it's never been easier to kind of get in touch with your ideal client than it is at the moment. They're all there on LinkedIn. And I know Kate is absolutely brilliant at, at using LinkedIn to sort of present herself and what she's doing. I'm, I'm I'm, not such a great marketer. But, yeah, sort of a combination between building the expertise and then putting yourself out there and being visible and letting everybody know what you're doing because there's no good doing things that nobody can see so so be visible and social media can be very helpful
2: i couldn't add anything there rachel's covered it all and and particularly that last point talk about it you know i think so many of us freelancers feel like we're bragging or you know we're not natural markets. a lot of us are not natural markets i'm definitely not it has taken an awful lot of actual personal development and particularly not but as well as CPD that break you through the fear of um, showing up online and talking about what you're doing, which so often think oh, nobody cares about that, but how else are they going to find out about what your values are and how how you are yeah how you present yourself but also what you're actually doing talk about it all the time. And it- not just because it's going to help you reach your ideal client and communicate with them. Um, but because it will inspire other like-minded people, and um, business owners, not necessarily just translators. It, it's really important, I think, that we inspire each other, that we support each other in um, this kind of whole tackling all of the environmental issues we're facing. As um, just a, can I throw in a stat as well? 99.9% of the business population in the UK is made up by small and medium-sized businesses. So we are not what we do matters and I think we have more power than we realize so yeah talk about what you're doing.
0: Mm, I love I love that and you know what I've actually you've actually made me want to do it as well because like I do a lot of things like personally like I don't I don't really shout about it but I I eat vegan and like I do little things at home and but I feel like I don't I always feel like I'm not doing enough to start talking about it because I'm like scared that people are going to be like oh but you I don't know you buy this or you do this because it's I know if I if I like eat avocados or something I try not to do it too often because I know that that's not necessarily um you could talk about that you could talk
2: about how it's it's not easy making those choices mm -hmm. but other people will relate to that Mm -hmm. and the more we talk about it you know that we can break it down and and help other people realize that a making any change in the right direction is positive. But also, B, please don't judge each other if you're not <laughs> if we're not getting it perfect, because that, again, like the fear thing, will just mm. I mean people are talking about it, what they are doing, the good stuff that they are doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and there's an awful lot there, Dot, so yeah, share it. And also that we think it's not related to our businesses, but as you say, we are our
1: business, so...
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I think um,
1: talking about it is almost more important than sort of living a hundred percent perfect life, which you can't do anyway. But if you're talking about it, that that brings in the potential that you could have influenced a whole range of other people to make changes to their lives. So just having those conversations really, really important around around when we were sort of back to the climate change now, rather than promoting your business. But yeah. yeah, yeah, don't 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 be afraid of of, of starting those conversations,
0: I'm definitely. You, I've de- You've definitely changed my mindset <laughs> with this. With this, because I'm I'm that kind of person. Someone when I found out about like how avocados are farmed and everything I was like right I'm just going to plant my avocado seed I'm going to grow my own tree and eat my own avocados and then realized that it takes about 10 years to be able to harvest <laughs> any avocados so I've got my avocado tree it's growing true. growing over there and I think that's why like, you
2: talk about your avocado tree um,
0: so I was like right either either I, I'm going to have to buy like avocados occasionally or I just won't eat them for 10 years <laughs> until I start growing with. So, oh you can yeah, get really
2: bogged down there in the detail and uh, yeah i think um if we start those conversations it helps other people not to be as bogged down
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah as you said we can't we can't be perfect at it anyway i think as long as we're all just doing doing what we can do and learning learning what we can learn and everything should we kind of go into the next section of the podcast where I want to talk about running an environmental translation business or at least making more environmentally conscious decisions because I don't know if like like with what we said about not being perfect I don't know if there's a 100% environmental perfect business but the kind of what decisions we can make shall we start with um the kind of clients that we work with because I think as much as that's still about The previous section it's still like I think part of running our business is who what clients we work with and the ethical and environmental sort of values that our clients have what do you pay attention to when you're looking for those ethical environmental clients or if somebody contacts you and wants to work with you because I know especially with like fashion and other things that there is kind of greenwashing that goes on sometimes so how do you actually analyze them and figure out if there's someone you want to work with? I've been thinking about this quite a lot
2: lately, but I'm not sure I have any answers. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid. But as you say, I think being aware of greenwashing is as important when we're, um, in, in terms of the clients we're working with and selecting those as it is as, as, for us as consumers or um, as it is for businesses looking at their own suppliers or service providers. So yes, Hmm. In the UK, I, I attended most of a webinar yesterday about the new green claims code that's coming out from I forget what the authorities call, but basically consumer protection, which will help businesses sort of be a lot more transparent and careful with the claims they are making about their environmental impact. And I think we can there are tools such as that, such as certifications that we can use as um, translators. To vets in similar way, you might do kind of your due diligence in terms of payment practices. I think we need to incorporate that layer of due diligence in terms of the ethics and sustainability of the people we're working for. But what came up yesterday was quite interesting that I my ideal client is not a large business. It's just much smaller. So they actually find some of the certifications and the processes not affordable. So they can't have the same access to those. So that makes it all a bit more complicated as well. It's difficult. It's particularly difficult, I think, if you do agency work, which I still do, far more difficult to assess the whole, you know, right along to the end client. And I have found myself translating marketing things that I find really interesting, kind of CSR stuff, not least because it teaches me an awful lot and it teaches me a lot of the terminology. But then I do find myself wondering how much of this Is greenwashing, which I have a real problem with, and I'm still, to be honest, trying to work my way through that and work out how. uh, Short of, I am trying to move away from doing so much agency agency work, so I think it'd be easier working with direct clients. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, but I'm (laughs) really interested to hear what
1: Rachel has to say because it's real conundrum. Yeah, and you you do get this in sort of the renewable energy world as well, where you get like the the oil companies are sort of moving into renewables, but in quite a small scale way. But sort of making a big song and dance about oh we look how green we are, where actually the, you know they've got two turbines and they're drilling for oil in the Antarctic. So yeah, that's that's not something that I would want to get involved in promoting that. But I mean, it does get quite complicated, sort of, because a lot of these companies are the, sort of the same com- branches of the same companies that the the renewables companies and and the the fossil fuel companies not necessarily different so yeah I don't I don't really have a particular answer to this question either but it is something definitely worth thinking about because you can go into environmental translators translations with the best will in the world and just end up translating corporate greenwash for sort of really quite unethical companies so it's so a definitely one to bear in mind yeah an important important yeah. area
0: I guess I guess the important thing is just to do your research into into your clients and try and figure it out um, as best as you can. Because it's the whole point of greenwashing is they they try and make it look like they're you know they're really green and ethical. So like it's hard it's hard sometimes to get past that and figure out what they're actually doing. Or it really you know, is. Um, yeah.
2: It, it just occurs to me though. I suppose when we're talking about communicating and engaging with our ideal client. I suppose. In being even more specific in our own messaging, when we're on social media, talking about greenwashing, talking about the the issues around that will naturally help you attract those ideal clients who are are genuinely transparent in their practices and kind of look at it that way. Those people who might be contacting you will hopefully be. I I, I think the SMEs that I kind of want to work with probably less likely but not at all impossible but less likely that greenwashing would be such a thing but yeah definitely be aware.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you do Um, say you get contacted by a client or even a client you already work with and they contact you about a project and it doesn't align with your ethics or you don't agree with working with that client how do you how do you turn them down?
1: I don't think I've I've ever said to anybody, I'm not going to do this because I don't agree with the ethics. And it's not something that really happens a lot because sort of the field I'm in dictates the kind of work that I get to an extent. If it, I would probably just say this isn't my field. I don't think I would go into sort of criticising the company because everybody's sort of opinions about those things are different. I don't don't really see the point. So, yeah. And I I also try not to do the um, I'm too busy. Because then cl- client, clients have a habit of coming back and saying, oh, well, when could you do it for? So it's probably yeah. probably better to just say, I don't want, this, this, this is not my field, is probably what I would say.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I've actually got a client who I started working with because I didn't really probably think it through. And the project I got sent was, again, as I said before, some into the weather well, sustainability policy and I just found it really really interesting but then as I started translating more of their jobs and it's in the fashion field so it's, it's kind of you know there are sketchy areas but realistically I think it's important to talk about similarly to not really being able to achieve perfection in your kind of own environmental impact as, a, as an individual this particular client I'm now phasing out but Also, they've been quite important in me being able to get through COVID and feed my family. So it's not always black and white and um, I don't feel great about it. And that's why I'm making efforts to kind of fill that gap. But yeah, I'm not really comfortable. You You have to be honest with yourself and it's it's hard sometimes but yeah I'm kind of faz- yeah phasing them out and so sometimes it's not as simple as saying no this isn't for me if it's a li- it's been kind of a more gradual thing where you've realized that they're not as transparent as you thought yeah I hope that makes sense
0: but mm. yeah I think that's almost maybe harder than if they just approach you and you realize straight away and you can say no yeah if you've actually already working with them they their one of your main clients or a big source of your income and that's Mm. I think it's difficult I think like this is also one of those things with when people are starting out you just want to have enough clients to have enough work to be able to live off of what you do and so I think it's hard when you start out to be super selective and be turning people down when you just want to be able to have it as your full-time job so yeah as you said it's just not black and white no and I think it it
2: it's okay to be on a sounds bit, bit on a journey um, and making those continual tweaks mm. to get yeah. there. You don't automatically zoom there necessarily.
0: Mm. So other than translating environmental content and working with clients who are more ethical and environmentally conscious, what other ways can we as translators make our businesses more environmentally? sustainable and be more conscious.
1: <laughs> I mean there's so there's so many aspects to this. It's really difficult to know where to start. I'm going to start with a kind of big difficult one and say for most translators the biggest impact you can make on your sort of personal carbon footprint is to think about can I cut any flights that I'm taking because you know this is sort of intrinsic to our work and that's why it's it's kind of difficult to talk about because a lot of Translators have family abroad and our businesses require us to be internationally focused but you know if you can cut any of those if you can take the train if you can think about is this journey necessary that's probably going to be a really big win all in one all in one hit and it, it's kind of difficult to talk about without doing that sort of pointing the finger and sort of looking at other people and accusing them which you really don't want to get into but on the other hand I've I was quite shocked to find out how big an impact the sort of you can almost look at somebody's if you do these carbon calculators you can look at somebody's climate footprint and say you fly a lot where did you go this year so yeah I think that's something we should be thinking about in the translation profession so I'll I'll leave I'll leave Kate to cover all the rest <laughs> just to add to that a little mention for Kate Uniak. Um,
2: i hope i'm pronouncing i've just realized i've never said her surname out loud even though i've worked with her so i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly if she's listening but she's um recently in the past day or so posted about her journey from um home from spain Santander, via um by ferry and uh linked to some more someone else who wrote about um traveling more sustainably so it's worth checking her out but yeah I would agree before all of the pandemic stuff I had um some trips planned there was a conference going to be taking place in um San Sebastian in Spain and I think another one I can't remember where else that uh, possibly Italy that I was planning train journeys for but then um, obviously that never happened so yeah yeah it is a big one I would say so recently I did some work with the University of York Um, some students there they have this great project where they're working with business the business community to give the students some experience in uh, sustainability and in kind of research and putting together presentations and things and then the businesses receive advice on kind of an action plan for making their business more sustainable and that kind of forced me to sit down and let them know the areas I wanted to look at so I think I would start by sitting down and thinking where those areas of your business where you have impact. So if you're an interpreter, travel will be a really big thing. It might be a bit less if you're a translator. Perhaps you still travel for co-working events, though, and conferences and CPD events. Um, That will start to be more relevant now, obviously. Uh, So travel was one of the things I um, picked out. Banking and insurance was another. Digital footprint was a massive one, and I think that's pretty universal for us all. Uh, they looked at kind of positive impacts as well. So not just reducing my um, negative impact, but how I could in- increase my positive impacts. That's kind of in in my local community, as we've spoken about. And then offsetting and tree planting, because I was quite confused about that. I think that's quite difficult to know. where it's going to have the, the best impact? There's more coming out now about how tree planting is not a silver bullet and it needs a lot more thought and attention given to it. Where are the, What trees where... You know, how long are they going to take to, to get to a point where the actually the carbon sequestration, is that the right word, um, is actually effective? And then utilities, you know, energy. So I looked at those areas. But yeah, di- digital footprint in particular, 3.5% of global emissions come from the IT, communications and tech sector. So both from manufacturing and distributing our hardware, but also the energy involve the electricity involved and cooling of data centers is a massive massive thing so four grams of co2 emitted with each email we send but um, probably could be a lot more with all the attachments we send as freelancers as well so it's worth looking into email is a good place to start where your subscriptions are do you need all of those now can you unsubscribe to some emails we all receive far too many we have a real clear out of our inboxes can we email less can we, instead of using attachments, of um, the link to, to Google? Um, Google in itself is their, um, their data centers are apparently green um, and apparently it's the best way to have kind of to work in the cloud. Look at our websites, the images on there, our site speed, everything affects the digital footprint of our website. Look at green hosting. So there's an awful lot there. Within just that area of digital footprint, um, that we can start with, yeah, renewable energy suppliers for the home. Where do we get our equipment from? Can we use refurbished? Like my laptop's a refurbed laptop rather than new. So just thinking about where we get our consumables from, our equipment, the whole kind of supply chain. Because we might not think we can have much impact, but actually, there are quite a few areas. We eat when we're working. So what are we eating? If we're out and about, what are we eating? What are we drinking? Can we take a renewable bottle, with, we, a reusable bottle, with us? Um, cut down on our coffee from a throwaway cup, plastic packaging, of food. I, if that's I'm now commuting, commuting to Leaves once a week, so that's actually taking quite a lot of thought and planning that I wasn't used to. <laughs> Not really leaving the house very much to take a meal with me. Otherwise, I find myself starving, and there aren't still aren't that many great alternatives in a large city um that don't use plastic waste yeah, plastic packaging yeah banking you mentioned um, pensions. and pensions yeah. they the students looked at the banking for me unfortunately I totally forgot to ask them to look at pensions so that's still something I'm
1: investigating I don't know if Rachel has more info it's, on that but I don't I don't and I'm, I, I still need to look at my pension but that's something that I've become aware of Recently, and it's sort of one of those things I don't think people think of is, is where is your money invested? And yeah, yeah.
2: Hey, um, I think I've heard of Pension B having a um, green option. And in terms of banking, this will obviously depend on where you're based. But in the UK, trio trio Triodos, I don't know how you pronounce that, is a very good one. They have both personal and business banking options nationwide, rates quite well, and the Cooperative Bank. Um, And a couple of other building societies quite often they're a little bit better on that scale. Very worthwhile um, getting a subscription for ethical consumer as well because that can really help you pinpoint where to look for virtually anything from furniture for your home to to energy suppliers. It's, I think, about £30 a year. But then you get, it's a bit like a witch subscription in terms of that and you have access to all of their reports and it's very in-depth,
0: yeah.
1: That's quite it's, a subject, it's a subject you could just talk and talk about isn't it? <laughs> you it's really just, there's just so many aspects to sustainability in even just in professional life like turning your turn your thermostat down and yeah wearing an extra That's jumper exhausting. And one one little thing if you're looking for a, a nice easy thing because I talked about a difficult thing before if you've got a laser printer turn it off when you're not using it because it uses a surprisingly large amount of and, I mean, it's 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 a low amount of energy, but then if you realise that it's sitting there all oh, year, it adds up. So turn your laser printer off.
2: Mm, something I'm quite bad at is switching your laptop off fully, like shutting it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, LED light bulbs too can make a massive difference. You've got a desk lamp or any, any lighting in your home, actually. Yeah, you'll see a big drop in the energy usage there and i suppose with rachel again you'll probably know more about this than me but energy suppliers um as you mentioned greenwashing and ethical consumer again can help you research that and um, yeah that's that's getting more difficult at the moment isn't it because they're all going bust unfortunately yes it is a bit complicated at the moment but yeah um it's this whole thing with just buying and renewable energy certificates is it right
1: yeah, we're yes. really
0: bold. There, there, there are
1: different there are different levels of greenness or in in green energy suppliers and I should have I should have looked that up to tell you more about it but but just just check them out and do the research when you sign up for a, a, a green energy supplier because they're not all equal
0: mm-hmm. I guess it's uh, touching again on the topic of greenwashing you need to like kind of when you want to make those decisions you also need to actually do quite a bit of research into the different yeah because because
1: the the issue the issue with the green suppliers i think it, it is some of them are just repackaging a percentage of energy that would have been produced by wind turbines anyway and selling that so overall it doesn't make any difference but there are some genuinely good ones that are actually making a difference to the amount of green energy that's produced and also doing lots of other positive things alongside
0: Mm. yeah Yeah, I guess it's all just loads and loads of small things that all kind of add up but I think just kind of talking about it like I hadn't even thought of banking before I think you did it was it a LinkedIn post or an Instagram post Kate maybe like a year ago or something you did some post about banking and Uh, I was like wow like I didn't realize obviously it makes sense as soon as you hear about it you're like that makes perfect sense because the banks do fund a lot of things that we're
1: Mm -hmm. not necessarily
0: always aware of but like that's something to look at and I think there's a lot of other things as soon as we mention them we can just be more conscious yeah
2: yeah I think that post was when Barclays had rung me offer me I think it was a business credit card or something and I told them no and, and why and she said fair oh, enough completely understand <laughs> um yeah because Barfu's HSBC any of us are big culprits
0: there mm-hmm. I was going to ask about what motivates you to incorporate those considerations but I think that's pretty obvious after everything that we've talked about um so what Other than looking at all of those things that you've already mentioned, what other advice can you give to translators who want to be more environmentally conscious?
1: The most important thing is we don't do this, we don't do this on our own. There's a limited amount you can achieve by and you can get overwhelmed by trying to sort of minimize your own carbon footprint. Sort of just talk to like-minded people and you know, kind of make it a, a community thing that we're trying to do together. And that's sort of why get involved with your local environmental movements as well and and sort of don't don't be on your own with it because it can be overwhelming.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and it's going back to that idea of sharing the knowledge that you're acquiring acquiring sharing your actions like that that post I wrote when you stopped and thought oh yeah. Because <laughs> often the things that we're not we don't think about. So yeah, inspire others but also People look out and um, be curious about what other businesses are doing. As Rachel says, we are in this together and we can support each other. There are a lot of really amazing business owners out there going to great lengths to change how they operate or start off, you know, on if they're startups, whatever, to um, to make a difference. There were also some amazing podcasts, which are kind of more aimed at the business community. If you want a way of avoiding that overwhelm and doom and gloom, I highly recommend Jane Goodall's Cast, which is wonderful. It's just wonderful. There's nothing else to say about that, really. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, on, on a practical level, you know, we've covered it, but if, if, you, if you take it step by step and look at those areas, maybe there's a particular area you could start with that has a large impact, I would say, digital footprint and flights, or something that is an easy win. You could start with to avoid that overwhelm and just to get started. And there are lots and lots of tools online too, where you can um calculate your your carbon footprint. And some are aimed at businesses. Particularly, there's lots of information online where you can really start to measure if you want to go down that line. And, and as a baseline, look at where you are now, and then you can see your progress in a year's time. And
0: not try and do everything at once. I guess I mean it's a journey, really, isn't it? We're all just. <laughs> On a journey doing, doing what we can, and I think it can get overwhelming when you suddenly are like, OK, I need to do, make all of these changes. But I think, like you said, if we're looking at the the main ones and focus on it bit by bit, if we're slowly making a difference, I think
1: that's... Um, the other thing, if you're a member of an, uh, a translators association or any group, really, let them know that this is something that's important to you because the changes that we make together are more powerful than... The things you do on your own.
2: Uh, Yes, that um, there may be something coming up in February.
0: (laughs) Along those lines,
2: (laughs) yeah. um, The ITI has uh, made its climate pledge, and um, I'm not sure I'm not a CIOL member, but um, yeah, absolutely. um, Professional, more and more professional bodies, I think, will be getting on board with this and helping their members work out where to start and do it together.
0: Oh, that's that's really great. Actually, I'm excited to see what's that. <laughs> well, that's all about. <laughs> but yeah, so I think we've kind of covered everything I wanted to ask you. Do do either of you have any extra bits you want to add on or anything that we've missed? Nope. No, so- no. Okay, <laughs> but
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should have a little soundbite for the end. But um, yeah, me too. <laughs> talk, yes. talk to each other. Talk about talk about
0: it. That's fine. Mm. I love that. Um in case anyone has been listening to this and they have more questions for either of you or they just want to get in touch or something Kate you start how can people get in touch and find you Um very easily on LinkedIn and there's my name Kate Stansfield and um on
2: on Instagram Kate Stansfield translations for now <laughs> rebrand pending <laughs> yeah and feel free to email me kate at katestansfield.com
0: Thank you and what
2: about
1: you Rachel Yeah I'm also on LinkedIn or or email me mail at rachelwaddington.co.uk.
0: I'll put your details in the show notes as well so it's easy for people to check and just click the link. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast and for sharing all of your wonderful knowledge. I've certainly learned a lot. Day. And I think this will be really interesting and useful for a lot of translators and just freelancers, anyone in general, to be honest.
1: So that was a pleasure <laughs> to speaking to you both. Yeah, it's been really good. Thank, Thank you very you. much for inviting me.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode on environmental translation. I hope you found it as inspiring as I did. Thanks again to Rachel and Kate for joining me today. Make sure to check out the show notes for useful resources and contact details for Kate and Rachel. If you're enjoying the Meet the Translator podcast or have any comments or queries, send an email to translator at gmail.com. See you next time!